friends, I'm Ashish Tabari, founder and CEO of Axiomize. And to our new listeners, you're very welcome. To our old ones, welcome back. I've got a real treat for you today. I'm extremely pleased to tell you that we have today in-house Lucio Lanza. Hi, Lucio. Hi, Ashish. How are you? Thank you very much. A person like Lucio doesn't need any introduction, <laughs> so I dare not introduce him. Uh, some of you who are new to the field uh, might want to know he's actually uh, been in the industry for four decades. He's a recipient of Phil Kaufman Award, and he runs his uh, private company, Lanza Ventures, who's helping startups um, do innovative stuff. Thank you so much for actually taking the time to come and talk to us. Um, Lucio, before we actually do deep dive, and you know, it's sometimes difficult to decide <laughs> when I talk to someone like you as to where do I actually start. But let me ask you a very simple question. Where did this all begin? Where, where were you born? How did you end up into science and engineering? I, uh, I'm glad you're asking where I was born, not where. <laughs> I was born in, uh, in Italy, uh-huh. and uh, uh, it was the end of the world. 1944. Oh, wow. And I was born in uh, Milan, Italy, in, in the center of, of the war and the, and the, and the uh, bombing. Yeah. So that was my, my start, starting point. And uh, I started in Italy. I, uh, I went to um, middle school, but I went to, uh, when I studied as, as a kid, I went to study classical studies. Uh-huh. So somehow I loved to study uh, Greek and Latin mm-hmm. and uh, history and philosophy. Philosophy was probably the thing I liked the most. History of philosophy. In, in, in Italy, those days, you don't study philosophy. You don't decide which philosopher, philosopher to study. You study history of philosophy. You start with Egypt <laughs> and you come to yesterday. That's it. <laughs> Studied all the philosophers in the middle for the entire time, which which makes you honest. Because you 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 cannot really pick one area you like. That's right. That's right. And uh, and the thing I like the most. And uh, uh, but I also like to uh, I like Greek and Latin. I like history. I also like this this math and and uh, and, and geometry and stuff. And when I, when I finished high school, my um, and, and, and the and the class reunion it was ten people, fifteen people. The class reunion, the teacher uh, wanted to find out which which college we would go to, and uh, uh, my philosophy teacher was very disappointed when I, I said I was going to go into engineering school. <laughs> she, she felt like I was I was really a traitor, so I shouldn't do that. But I felt that uh, that uh, engineering was a, a better way to, to get involved in society and, and have an impact on society. And I went to the Polytechnic of Milan. Polytechnic of Milan is is a, a, a unique engineering school. It's, it's a private school. And uh, uh, I remember when I went there at the time, and this was 1962. The number of kids that were in the first day that we went in class was 1,010 in one class. Mm. Wow. <laughs> it was pretty good. And, uh, and, and then during the engineering school, what, what, uh, what we do 
we, the first two years, we just studied mathematical theory. Uh -huh. That's it. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah. All, all yeah. Theory. Yeah. And then in the third year, you decide which area to go to, and then you specialize more and more and more. So I moved from mathematical theory. I had to do the after the first two years, uh, I, I moved to uh, an electrical engineering, and then uh, various areas. Then then became on the electronic engineering. On the electronic engineer, only 25 people, if I remember correctly, were, were admitted. So I got in the electronics, and then five years and uh, two months later, I got a degree in, uh, in electronics. So that's... Uh, this is really fascinating. Our... This is really fascinating because, you know, I live in Europe, and I've been living here for 22 years now. And I know exactly I can relate to what you're saying because I had lovely Italian teachers who were teaching me back in my Germany days when I was doing my master's. So I see that the passions run quite high when people are interested in pure maths or logic or philosophy. They, they really do believe in that. But I, I suppose one thing that philosophy teaches you is to think and, and always challenge the hypotheses and always ask to go more. It's, it doesn't teach you, teaches you to be dogmatic, right? And I suppose in engineering and science, that kind of thinking helps you to grow out of your mold and challenge the status quo. And I think that's probably, you would have seen that that would have helped you in, in engineering and, and science. But for 1960... Yeah, that's, 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 a, that's a nice way to, to, to think. That's exactly, exactly the way. So, and and I, I was very excited. At the end of the fifth year, I remember this professor from an uh, Italian professor who had been in Stanford for a couple of years um, came there and had this uh, discipline called computer science that he, he wanted to, to uh, teach. He was teaching. And that was the only class that I was allowed to volunteer. <laughs> of the 30 classes that you had, 29 were fixed. That's it. You take those and that's it. You have no choice. I remember I complained once to the... To the um, head of the of the of the uh, college, and they said, you know, we should allow kids to pick ones, pick. And he said, we are allowed to pick. <laughs> Just tell you, you have twenty nine, and you have to do. But you know what's fascinating is in nineteen sixties, if you were doing electronics back then, I mean, transistors had just about came. You know, it was only about five, six years ago, you know, this was just the era of vacuum tubes and, you know, yeah. and, and to have actually started your career in that age. And here we are in 2020, you know, in, in the age that we are, it's absolutely, uh, well, you, you must have seen it all. <laughs> transistors, I remember transistors, I remember because the days when you knew the transistor was a trans resistor. <laughs> yes. That's right. It was a resistor that would Change. So that's fundamental right. that it transistor. That's right. resistor that can change. Right. It can change continuously. That's what I remember. So, Lucio, um, is it right? Is it right to? Um, so, so you did all of this back in um, Italy, and then you took up a job. If I'm not wrong, as soon as you finished your degree, um, you, you took up a career in electronics, right? But now yes, you are doing yes. network communications, satellite communications. I mean, how did that happen? Can you give us a brief overview of your 40-year path from graduating in electronics? Overview. 
making him brief may be difficult. But <laughs> I have time. <laughs> that, that, was, that was exactly 52 years. Wow. Yeah. 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 <laughs> because I finished in 67, December 67. My first job was in February 68, February 21, 1968. And that's when I joined the company called Olivetti. Uh-huh. Yep. In fact, was called at the time Olivetti General Electric. Right. It was the company, the company that General Electric had just acquired the computers and, uh, and done this subsidiary of GE called mm-hmm. Olivetti General Electric. Right. And they had a computer that was called the uh, 115, TR-115, if I remember. Mm. It was just a... a, a I'm calling mini computer. A mini computer was was as tall as me. Right. This is 1967. You're saying, yeah, 1968. There was, was 68 February when I joined, mm-hmm. and I stayed there. I stayed there for some time until GE decided to take over the company completely, and then I had the choice whether to stay there or to join instead Olivetti. Right. Olivetti. So I moved to Olivetti proper, and now we're talking about 68, mm-hmm. mid-68, end of 68, I joined Olivetti proper. And Olivetti, when I went to Olivetti, they started putting me in charge of uh, connecting uh, computers. Okay? So the first thing I was doing, connecting computers. So via modems, to be precise. And I was designing the controllers for Right. And then, and then, then uh, designed those controllers and, uh, 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 what was the name of the protocol? I this protocol. But then we uh, decided to design some more, more complex things. And they thought since I, I was so excited about designing controllers, first of all, they moved me from Olivetti to Olivetti Milan. Olivetti Milan was a, a group of people in Olivetti that uh, were in charge of, of moving back Olivetti into computers. So GE had acquired the computers, and I was put back into computers. Mm-hmm. And I was there, I was living in Milan, and the office was a mile, two miles from, from where I was living. And there uh, was a team, at the time, it was a team 17 people, 18 people, that was doing just that mm-hmm. at this point. We had to design these things. And uh, in that team, the first thing they asked me to do again is do a communication for it, right. which I did. And then, and then they uh, decided that uh, they wanted to do a banking terminal. They asked me to design a CPU. Wow. That's how we got into CPUs. And uh, we're talking those days, now we're talking about 69, mm-hmm. yeah, 69. 6970 and uh, at that point the uh, in industry was already having uh, some SSI small scale integral circuits and some yeah. MSI yeah. mid scale integral yeah. circuits and That's the right. largest the largest one that existed those days was a four bit shift register That's right That's right That was the one and uh, so I, I designed I decided, I accepted the challenge to, des- to design the first computer. Yeah. 
the first computer that became a computer. It was another one. And the gentleman that did that was the one who became the boss and asked me to do it. So we did that. And there was going to be a computer to be used in banking terminals. Because Olivetti was very strong in, in uh, uh, calculators. Right. He was only banking industry for calculators. And uh, they just acquired Underwood in the States. So they wanted to have somebody that would design these things and, and make computer terminals. Okay. And so I designed that. And uh, when I say I designed it, it looks very arrogant. Uh, were two of us. And, uh, um, uh, one, the other one was Mr. Vecchio, E-C-C-H-I-O. Mm -hmm. And he was very, very precise, great designer in, in depth. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so we designed this one. So that's how I ended up in the, on, on the computer side. And when we did that, his computer became pretty successful. And now we're talking about really taking over practically dominating the banking terminals in Europe. Mm -hmm. So they decided to ask me to find out how to make these terminals more and more powerful. Right. And, and there, were, there were companies in the States, they were doing things called semiconductors, but Fairchild was one, mm -hmm. Motorola was another one. So they, they fundamentally, we understood we could not design the process ourselves mm -hmm. because the only company in Europe, in Italy in particular, that could do that was called SGS Thompson. Uh -huh. Yeah. And SGS Thompson was not really advanced in the thermal technology. So they asked me, they, they put me in charge of going to the States and find out from the States which company was the right one to, to cooperate with and to work with. And I went to... Uh, for child and Motorola, and mm -hmm. uh, Motorola was, uh, was in Phoenix, the one for processors. And I went to National Semiconductors, I went to various companies. And at the end, I liked this small company, this smaller company that uh, had just, just moved to Santa Clara. And uh, it was in, in Santa Clara 1, the first building in Santa Clara. It was a small com company called Intel. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I liked them. Uh, I thought that they, they were very challenging, uh, very tech, very intellectually challenging. So I went back to, to Italy and I advised the company, the Olivetti company, to work with Intel. Was the, 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 my boss at the time was very, very, very smart. So it wasn't a fight. When I told him why, he understood, he agreed, great, it's good. So we decided to establish a cooperation with Intel that happened to have a processor called 8080. Mm -hmm. Right. And they're just making the 8085. And the point is that as, as the designers of computers, the CPU was just a little thing. <laughs> it wasn't the computer. <laughs> it just one tenth of the computer. And what we wanted to do is convince Intel that they needed more than, than a processor. Yeah. If you, want to, <laughs> if you want to support computer, it's the modern process. So they sent me there, and I, I worked with Intel, and we decided that Intel, Intel and I, uh, uh, and I we decided we're going to be working on other things. One was going to be a floppy disk controller okay. called 8271. Right. Yeah, right. An SDLC controller uh -huh. called 8273. And the third was going to be a 
display controller, right. DT275. Right. So let's do DT270X. So this is mid 70s, right, Lucio? This is mid 70s. We're talking about yeah, early 70s, 72. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Seventy-four. No, seventy-four. Seventy-four. Right. So seventy-four. So and we decided to do those. So I went back to to Italy, and I could keep coming back from Italy to the States and working here and there, here and there. But at the end, I was able to pend it. Okay, but at the end, the pendulum got stuck <laughs> in the States. So I, I realized that uh, at this point, I, I I wasn't fitting in Olivetti as well. I was fitting in Italy. Sure. And, and then we're all going the same way, we're all going at the same speed, we're all, all challenging each other. It was very, very challenging process. And Olivetti wasn't, wasn't as much. So I, I resigned from Olivetti and never forget it. They, they couldn't believe it that I would resign. It's instant. They, they thought I was so successful in Olivetti, can you resign? Yeah. And I thought, you know, that don't tell me that I'm very successful, otherwise you're making me feel even worse. I'm leaving and you're telling that I shouldn't, you're getting everything. I don't know what to do. So I left and joined in the, so the, the, the one-way ticket was October 11, 1977. I, I moved to Inter Right. And I was hired. So that's, that's a very uh, exciting time, right? I mean, this is when processors were sort of going down because we had mainframes by that time and computers were like, size of the rooms yeah. and and you were yeah. right there at the helm of it talking to intel about building processors floppy floppy disk controllers all of the stuff that i have seen growing up as a child in india and it's so fascinating so luchi tell me this so this was an exciting time you know you were at intel one of the most well-known names now and probably not as well known as fairchild at the time at and motorola at the time but how did you actually then move into communications then? What was happening in your mind about moving to communications, satellite communications, and that kind of direction? Well, you know, the, the, uh, I think I really did not move into communications anymore. I think communication, after I joined Intel, the, the, I ended up uh, staying in the processors and uh, ended up uh, that's a funny story I when I decided to leave Olivetti uh, I was in the position in Olivetti where I could not leave for six months so I, I would resign and I had to stay there by contract for six okay. months mm -hmm. right so I stayed there for six months in those six months when I ended up coming back to Intel I told Intel when I resigned, I'm going to be in six months. They don't, they didn't believe me. I said, I have to stay there six months. So when I came back after six months, uh, Intel had decided to uh, move and start designing a 16-bit process. Uh -huh. and they hired a guy from Western Digital mm -hmm. down south, Bill uh, Palmer. They would design this product. It was, it was called the 86. Mm -hmm. So when I joined in, they would design the 86. But they still wanted to finish designing the other products, so the, the, the 75, mm -hmm. 75, all the virus controllers. So they, mm -hmm. they wanted me to work on that. At the same time, they asked me to work on the, on the processors. Mm -hmm. So 
I think that the first process of that was involved with was called the 186. All right. The 186 was in 86, mm-hmm. but I wanted to do an integration of all the peripheral so it would right. mm-hmm. of cost mm-hmm. to be used for, for products. Right. Integrate right. all the peripherals. Mm-hmm. And so that was the 86. And then when I was there, I was doing the 186, and we started moving in the 286. Right, okay? right, right. Almost in charge of the 26 initially. Then he left, ended up in charge of the 26. So you're talking that's, about that's, you were talking about Phil Kaufman, is that right? No, not yet. Okay, he, Phil, Phil wasn't there yet. Okay, the, the 26 was uh, I think it was Dave House at the time. I see, but uh, but uh, the I think I don't remember exactly. No, Jean Claude Cornet. Jean Claude Cornet. Okay. <laughs> And uh, and uh, so that's that's when the 26 was going. And the interesting thing on the 26 is that uh, uh, the 26 was a product of that uh, that uh, uh, was looking at uh, a CPU becoming more complex. Mm-hmm. Okay, wasn't thinking as much about moving fast in technology right. as uh, becoming. In fact, instead of being a Unix machine, which is what I would have liked. Mm. Was a multi-ex machine. It was right. a multi-processor Unix. So that's why it was so complicated as an architecture. Very mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, uselessly complicated. Mm-hmm. Okay? It wasn't mm-hmm. really needed. That, didn't that, need that to that be. Thing. Yeah, didn't need to be. It didn't. Mm-hmm. So, but that was the 26. And then, uh, uh, and so that's where I got involved. So I kind of moved away from the peripherals. And they decided, they think I put him in charge. Of the strategy, part-time. Right. That's when Intel decided to move into the strategic process. Okay? Interesting. The, mm-hmm. the, and that, that was a huge decision for them. Still today, the uh, structure mm-hmm. that they designed in the seventy-nine. Mm-hmm. So that's the uh, same, identical. Right. It's called SPS, Strategic Business Center. Right. And that right. was put in charge. In charge of the strategy, the microprocessor SBS, microprocessor strategic business center, mm-hmm. was the first person in charge of that. So that's what I did. At, at, cool. uh, and, and then at the same time, they started asking me to look also at the peripheral strategic business center. So I kept moving in that direction and really was trying to understand how do we beat Motorola and the, and the Motorola product. The sixty thousand. The sixty thousand was really boring. Right, right, right. The way to do it was the two thirty six was more complex. Mm-hmm. The very nice, very nice, simple architecture. Well, like, and the two thirty six was far more complex. So what we did is deciding that we do that by making Intel do more around the two thirty six, mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. complex. And that's when we <laughs> ended up doing stuff like I'll go quickly. More quickly, like uh, we decided, for example, that uh, connecting computers via uh, uh, SDSC or HDSC made no sense. You're, you're going through uh, telephone lines. Right, telephone right. lines don't move as fast as fast as uh, the computer. So we decided we need to connect computer to computers. How do we do that? How do you do that? Well, how do you do that? Well, that, that was uh, uh, my first design when I went to Olivetti General Electric was doing that. So I asked some friends of mine at Olivetti, 
have, have what is good today to, con- to connect these things. And one friend of mine there, Mario Mazzola, told me, you know, there is a connection that a, a research organization called Xerox Park, and uh, it's, it's a good one, it's a good connection. And I, I really like Mario Mazzola, as a technical, I'm very good, I was working with me at Olivetti, Olivetti and I brought him into Olivetti here myself. And uh, <laughs> here in the States. And they said, uh, I said, yeah, well, let's look. Let's see if we can get this thing going. So we talked to Xerox Park, and now Kaufman was on now. Kaufman was now the CEO, the, the uh, general manager of the, of the microprocessor. So Kaufman and I talked to, uh, to Xerox, and they said, okay, if you want to use this, okay, we, we'll let you do it. But then we decided that uh, in order to make this a standard, we needed, we needed the system company. Mm-hmm. A computer company to do that, right? And uh, of course, which computer company we got? Olivetti. <laughs> so we went to Olivetti to ask them whether they would, they would, uh, in fact, uh, um, become part of this three ways team that sure. would make this a standard. And Olivetti, the guy at Olivetti in Italy, said absolutely not, because he was in a different division of Mario Mazzola, so he didn't want to favor him. So sure. at the end, Olivetti said, oh, "We don't do it." So we left, and when we came here, I remember Phil Kaufman and I were sitting down, and Phil says, so what are we going to do with Olivetti? So Olivetti, Olivetti who? There's no Olivetti in my life. <laughs> so what, uh, what are we going to do for this? I said, well, we need another system company. And uh, we said, what about digital equipment? Right. And we said, yeah, let's, uh, yeah, let's call digital. And uh, so we called it, and... Uh, then the guy comes in, and he said, uh, "Yeah, we do have a detnet, but I like the internet. Mm. I think is uh, I think I, I really like what the, what the Xerox has defined. So we decided, okay, we're gonna we're gonna go and do exactly that. Mm-hmm. So the three way thing happened, and then we decided to do the internet. The first Ethernet yeah. controller was done exactly that way." Yeah, so I know. I, I read about it and I really wanted to hear it from you today. And that's why I, I, I wasn't meaning, <laughs> I, I wasn't meaning to, to give you a hard time trying to <laughs> stretch your memory. But I, I wanted you to share this history with us because I've read this somewhere about how the Ethernet protocol came and how you were involved at, at the time. So thank you very much for sharing this. Let me move on, Lucio, because I have, <clears throat> I want to talk to you about what yes. you're doing these days. So what are you up to? These days, I hear you are you have a keen interest in medical um, electronics and health um, electronics. Tell us about what what is happening now. You see, let me tell you. At this point, when I see that uh, the um, semiconductor industry um, second derivative of growth has changed <laughs> from positive to negative, so you have the second derivative that just is just barely. Barely there. The first derivative is slightly positive, but the second is negative. It's just going this way. And when it's going this way, uh, you have to look at, at which applications are moving in an exponential way with strong second derivative. And the, of course, the, the computing power and the computing power itself, the computer themselves, are not. They're not moving that way. But if you look at the 
uh, algorithms where <coughs> the demand is going exponential. It's naturally exponential. Okay, if you look at the at the health um, care and and you look at the at the um, um, drug discovery process, mm-hmm. drug discovery process. Guess what? It's a negative second derivative. Mm, that's right. <laughs> Is just um, you spend more money to discover a drug than you're going to make with the drug. So, and the good business. So, somehow you look at that and you say, okay, but is the demand for drug discovery, is the demand for new drugs positive? Is the second derivative of demand positive? Of course it is. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievably positive. Yeah. So, what we need to think is how do we apply technology? to address that uh, exploding demand. So you're focusing specifically on drug discovery, is that right? Not on wearable health, which is the market, for example, with the watches and, and sensors. I'm focusing on both. Both, I see. I'll tell you, drug discovery is one mm-hmm. with technology. The other thing when things are growing exponentially is what I call IoT. Mm-hmm. Internet of Things, the number of things they want to connect it and become a calling citizen of the internet mm-hmm. is exponential. Mm-hmm. So you have to have these things coming in. And they don't come in naturally because the internet is digital and so happens the phenomena are analog. So you need to have something that gets analog into digital and you need to have an entire industry goes in that direction. So from that point of view, you need, you need to have the ability of making these designs unbelievably cheap. So, Lucio, this is a very competitive market with the big vendors, you know, like the likes of Apple and, and you know, Google and Samsung and whatnot. <laughs> I mean, you, you're batting for some small companies in this segment. Am I right or wrong? Yes, yes. But, but let me give you an example. Yeah, and look at small companies. So, so would, would Apple say... Okay, I'm going to bring in uh, uh, all the good ideas that some guy in uh, in uh, Ukraine has. No, I'm going to send good ideas that somebody in, uh, in Tanzania has. No, okay. How do you get those good ideas here? Well, you have to think differently. Okay? Mm-hmm. And there's a company that uh, happened to be involved when we started it, and we said, okay, if you want all these IOTs coming in. You have to understand that that analog designers are a different generation of people, different mm-hmm. minds. Correct. They're not digital like me. <laughs> no. That's right. They're creative. They don't want to drive two hours to go to work, and they want to leave the home or the, 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 the country they're in to go and, and walk in Silicon Valley. Don't do that. Right. So you need to be there. So how do you do that? Well, you have to create a network. And you make a network of, of analog designers. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that we started. Right, so I how see. How do you do that? Yeah. You post a spec on the network. Mm-hmm. You post a spec on the net, mm-hmm. on the internet. They say, hey, would you please, would you please bid on this design? Mm-hmm. And, you, and you know what happens? You get 80 bids. And you look at that, you go, wow, this okay. is a good one. This is great. <laughs> so now your, your technical problem is being solved. Mm-hmm. You could never be able to solve it to go find out who exactly knows how to do it. But you created a, 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 a natural way mm-hmm. of bringing designs in. Right. Now, the design in 
in the analog is in, now you need to do the rest of the design. How right. do you do that? What way to do that? Probably right. the people are trying to do the designs are no large companies. Five kids in the, in the garage. Mm -hmm. So how do they do that? Well, they cannot pay much for, for design tools. Mm -hmm. So you need three design tools. Okay, open source design tools. Push for open source. Right. So same company decided right. after having the sure. design coming in yeah. to open source tools. So that's, I think that is very important to bring in more ideas. So you are a big supporter. You are a big supporter of open source tools uh, because you, yeah. for for the reasons that you're describing, and I totally agree with you. Yeah, I think to drive innovation more freely, um, that's the way to go. It's a very interesting point you made about analog and how digital and analog are not. Sometimes I see them as being tangential to each other, but without the analog, you know, we can't get the digital to um, to work. And it's in both ways, right? So we need processing backend on digital, but the real world is analog, right? So. <laughs> I, I remember when I did this thing and announced this thing, this uh, this uh, uh, analog design network. I remember that a good friend of mine, very smart guy, he was working in a Swedish company, a very important company, very strong in analog. Sure, sure. Told me, said, "You son of a bitch! You realize that every every engineer in my company will work for you at night." <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yes, but it's a very simple idea if you think of it. What you actually uh, seeded, which is to bring the whole community of analog designers on the same platform and get the best ideas to you know form an ecosystem. Effectively, that's what you're yes, saying. You've done. Absolutely. So how far along? How is it going? I mean, where are you in that stage? Where are this company? This company is there now. Is is also the the digital portion. Right. So it's, it's open source thing, okay. is, uh, you see, as the open source thing now, but looks at open source, not as replacing other tools, no. not replace the standard tools, no. no. The point is, the open source things that, that will be very successful will need to be more complex and will become new customers for the, the standard way of design. Sure. Okay? When you increase the community of designers, and you multiply by a factor of 100, mm. the existing set of tools will succeed because of those 100, 2, 3, 4, 5, 10 will be successful. So the entire market is going. Mm. You're just extending. To me, the only other example of this is when we move from just custom ICs to semi-custom ICs. Mm -hmm. Well, the number of IC designers going down, no, went up like crazy. <laughs> Because the number of electronics going down, no. So this so is, when, when you know, what is allowed to the community, you get everybody. What is what is really striking my mind right now, knowing your history with Cadence before, and you were also uh, at ARM as, as a director, and now here you are saying, look, to drive innovation, we need to support the open source ecosystem and drive it in there. But this is um, this is very nice to see that you know you have that kind of perspective on the industry because you know these EDA tools that are being sold in the market are you know they've gone through so much design and stability phase and they're very good in quality and it's taken them a lot of time to make these and I think what you're saying is with open source with the diversity of ideas and how people communicate more effectively in an open spirit and Linux is a classic example of how you know you can have such a beautiful operating system absolutely um, so Lucio, what else? I, mean, I, I wanted to actually um, just ask you this. You know, we, we are living in 2020. 
with 5G driving a lot of innovation, IoT, as you mentioned, and artificial intelligence every single day, you hear something or the other. Where do you see us going in the next decade or so with the convergence of these technologies in the hardware space, especially impacting automotive? What what are your thoughts on this? Are we going in the right direction or the wrong direction? I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a couple of places. One is what is going to happen is that uh, the, the uh, we're going to have a, uh, an explosion of the uh, AI and machine learning devices. Uh-huh. And that is going to require so much computing power, mm-hmm. so much creativity, that we've never seen it before. Right. It's also a different kind of creativity. Mm-hmm. And when you're mentioning about medical, to me, medical is an area where that specific approach mm-hmm. would change being different computer. Right. Because you're going to have machine learning mm-hmm. and the beauty of machine learning and this computer is that when you think that the thing is flat, mm-hmm. it's not sequential. Mm-hmm. It's not like human beings. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm do this, do this, do that. Yeah. My brain is not big enough to yeah. keep a big my mind. Yeah. So you keep optimizing too soon. Mm-hmm. The industry, the way this the medical and the, the pharmaceutical industry have been going, so it will need to be negative, mm-hmm. and fantastic, it might be politically incorrect. But it's been optimizing silly. Mm-hmm. So they do the entire process silly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when you do that, it's difficult, yeah. it's difficult to have completely innovative and creative ideas. Right. If you go with open, AI mm-hmm. machine, mm-hmm. you can look at more data than you would ever be able to look at, right. at so, the same time. Yeah. And so and that is where, the, the, when I talk about uh, totally changing mm-hmm. the, the healthcare industry, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking at looking at, I, I, sometimes I do this, and I, I used to do that part. Assume you have infinite computing power. Of course, yeah. it's impossible. Assume yeah. you have infinite computing power. Yeah. What would you do if you if you want to, to do a, a fantastic medical technology and medical compound? Infinite computing power. Right. I'm gonna take computing power. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna take your DNA. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna ask my computer power. Will you please tell me for this DNA, for this person, for this mm-hmm. thing, what mm-hmm. is the thing that is wrong mm-hmm. and why is it more prone to have Alzheimer's? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So diagnostics, diagnostics. Yeah. So, so the, the, if you have infinite computing power, the diagnosis become precise. Precise. And that's right. Individual. That's right. You. That's right. Your DNA. That's right. Now, of course, it's not infinite, but you can see that the trend is that direction. The yes. trend is not in, in making more and people making this good for everybody. No. The trend is making it good for that specific disease, for that specific variation of that. That's right. Okay. Not for every Alzheimer's you can see there are twenty different ones. So, yeah, sure. So that's so that's the way I'm looking at the way things are gonna evolve. Okay? No, that's that's quite correct. And actually if you throw in five G into this and if you think the machine to machine connectivity could be accelerated, then data could be passed around, the diagnostics could could be done off site. They don't have to be done uh, right at the node. 
where you're sampling the data. So you can actually then get the best of, so, so you're giving an optimism view to me right now. So you're saying we're going to be getting better and better at addressing um, health, health diagnostics. Absolutely. Yeah. And this no is, this no is, this is a very, uh, this is a very positive thing to see young people there to consider, look at, they have to look at what is that can be done right now. As I, I, I always say, assume infinite computing power. Tell me what you can do. What you can okay? do. And this is, I think, tell, we used to do that. We always we yeah. say, yeah. your objective is something that is it's not achievable. Yeah. You can see that's the objective. Okay? Now, now do a, a real clear decision on what you're going to do in the next month. Correct. Okay? Correct. Correct. Something clear. Okay. Right. That's that's what we organize that the entire the entire processing of planning. You did that. You get something very nice as an objective, and but, and then you get which steps you can make. So this that's is so apt, you know, Lucio. Just in the modern yeah time, you know, the, the year twenty twenty, we are going through this pandemic, um, and we were the whole society as a whole has never been well prepared for such pandemics. And what you're saying is that what you're looking at and what kind of projects you're supporting at. At some point, we could imagine living in a world where we have this supposedly infinite compute power, which is then formed into this advanced diagnostics, and we could then get after these pandemics ahead of them, right? So we could potentially stay ahead of these things, not just the the more chronic Alzheimer's or, or, or the cancers, and of course, they're all uh, quite bad, but... But this is going to be quite a big concern from what I hear going forward with the pandemics becoming more and more frequent, um, you know. Take, 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 take this pandemic. Take this pandemic. It's obvious what the limitations are. Mm -hmm. In this pandemic, the, the real limitation that you have here is a limitation because of a structure in the medical system that... Uh, is uh, a little obsolete. Mm -hmm. You you need to have constant contact. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. You the idea that uh, you have an episodic contact with your health provider doesn't make any sense. <laughs> should be continuous. Right. Okay? Right. The contact should be continuous. You should have. A constant interaction. Okay? In fact, not even you, your device, the one that is really taking care of your little disease and informing the doctor of your disease should be connected to the doctor continuously. Period. Okay? And if you have somebody in a senior home, it should be connected, he or she should be connected to whoever is knowledgeable about their need, whether their physical health need or emotional needs, continuously. There is no reason not to have a continuous connection. None. Okay? Connection is feasible today. Okay? And one of the results of this pandemic will accelerate the connection, accelerate the continuous connection. Mm. And stop thinking things have to be episodic. They are not episodic. The second you stop thinking of healthcare as episodic, you find out that the healthcare becomes not medical care, but healthcare. Healthcare. That means that means you're taking care of your health, not your disease. Correct. That's the difference. Okay? Correct. 24-7 <laughs> online monitoring, doing. online monitoring and advanced predictions. That's that's what you are basically saying. That's that's the word yes. you are 
envisioning going forwards. Really, really that's, nice. That's the way it's going to be. There's no reason for you to get sick. Don't get sick. Just don't do that. Your, your body doesn't want it. Please don't do it. That's, that's, a, that's the way you don't get sick. Okay. So, Lucia, I was just looking at the clock and I was, uh, and I was saying, oh, we've already been talking for the last 40, 40 minutes or so. So I know you, you have a lot of things to look at. So I don't want to take too much of your time. But before we wrap up for today, I wanted to ask you, you know, for someone who has spent this long in the industry, what would be five tips if you wanted to give it to young people today, um, starting a career in electronics, or software, what would be your five recommendations? You know, the first thing, the first thing I would say today, uh, get familiar with computers. Very familiar. Okay, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Second one, get familiar with AI. Sure. Okay? Yeah. And machine. AI. Don't think like a computer. A computer is a sequential thing. Ding, 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 boom. Don't do that. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Open your mind. Look at the big thing. Look at the big picture. Try to see how things are, are connected with each other. Sure. Okay? And, and just don't assume that the past is what it is. Mm -hmm. Look at the evolution of things. Mm -hmm. One evolution, for example, you have to think about. Mm -hmm. Distance is dead. Right. Okay? Doesn't exist anymore. I sure. don't know where you are. Sure. Doesn't matter. Sure. Okay? Yeah. Distance, distance was given a death pill when we met, when we started eating. Okay? <laughs> That's right. And now it's done. That's right. That's <laughs> right. This is not meaningful anymore. That's right. Okay? That's right. That's so look at that. Don't think about distance. That's that's a and uh, and so just just uh, what I call is is just think flat. Okay? Don't think sequential. And and that is that is something that will allow you to um, um, understand in the way society is doing things, mm -hmm. not necessarily to insert yourself and improve a little step. In sure, right, right, right. That's that's and then once you do that, then you go back to the being 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 uh, process uh, oriented because your brain ain't sure. that. Sure. And you say, okay, what is the objective I have here? Sure. This is the objective. If that's the objective, what is a result I can achieve in a reasonable time? Right. That's it. Those are my, my three things. That's my awesome. Five. That's no, no, this is really nice. I like this thing that you said, think flat and don't, don't think sequentially. So as if almost like you broaden your opportunities of growth and where you can go. And then once you've identified which ones you want to go after, then you put a structure and a process behind to chase them. <laughs> That's what you're saying. Exactly. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. And, and, and really coming from you, you know, uh, it just means a lot. And thank you so much for, for coming and talking to us today, Lucio. I know you are a very, very busy person. Uh, and I'm uh, deeply grateful to you. Deeply grateful to you for taking the time out. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. Bye now. Thank you. So friends, I hope you enjoyed today's chat with Lucio. Uh, it's not very easy to find people like Lucio. And I hope you stay in touch with us and do let us know if you enjoyed today's podcast. 
to let us know by info at axiomize by emailing us at info at axiomize.com and sharing your thoughts on our YouTube channel. Stay healthy and we will be back again. Thank you very much. Thank you.